0: Good afternoon, Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, coming to you live from Round Rock, Texas, on this Friday, the 20th day of April, 2007. Got a great guest coming on today. I've had a number of requests for this guy, Alan Watt, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Okay. Okay. You know, I've been perusing around this website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and I've had a few listeners that have called and requested this gentleman come on my show, Alan Watt. And I'll tell you what, I don't even know where, where to begin with this guy because his knowledge evidently is so broad on so many issues that I'll probably just let him run. Without any further ado, though, I'm going to bring up Mr. Alan Watt. Alan, are you with me?
1: I certainly am, yeah.
0: Yeah. I have to ask you a question, Alan. Um, I'm reading a little blurb on your website right now, sir, and it's a BBC article, and you were talking about, in this particular instance, you were talking about chemtrails, and since you can remember uh, uh, giant Xs, which lingered for many hours over parts of Scotland during this time period. Is that where you're from, sir?
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah, I can remember they were practicing with certain chemicals even back in the 60s, and I was uh, small and uh, playing and you know how children spin around, look at the sky, until you're dizzy and you fall down. <laughs> and, and I'd watch this, uh, these X's and, and these amazing loops, and they'd linger in the sky for, for hours and hours and hours. And I had an uncle who was in the air force, who came one day, and I asked him what it was, and, and he said, "Well, it's really it's not really the condensation trails." I said, "I don't know what that is." He says, "Highly unusual." And years later, of course, declassified information was given to the public. Uh, which stated they were testing certain chemicals out, uh, which could be used in warfare purposes on other nations. Well, they always test this stuff out on their own public first.
0: And this goes all the way back to the 60s, because I know this has become really commonplace here um, in the uh, mid to the late 90s, I believe. But before we go any further with that, I wanted to ask you, what part of Scotland do you hail from, sir? Uh,
1: it's really towards the, the Highland part, um, Just above Perthshire.
0: Okay. Now, the reason I ask is because my wife is Scottish. She's from Aberdeen. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're familiar with that place, yes?
1: Yes, I've been there quite a few times.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, I was over there uh, just uh, about a year ago. Uh, Fascinating place to visit. Well, anyway, where do we go from here? I'll tell you, one of my listeners had, uh, one of the many that has called in and asked to have you up, Alan, was asking me a question regarding foreign troops on American soil. And he uh, told me to go into your website and look around. And uh, I thought, well, rather than do that and go down the rabbit hole on all of this different stuff, I'd just have you up and let you talk a little bit about it. What can you tell me about foreign troops on American soil?
1: Um, you've had them on and off uh, since in training, beginning with mainly special forces from other countries. Now it's regular troops. Since they created the, the NATO Pact, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, So, yeah, back in the the, the 50s and 60s, they were bringing in special forces to combine their training. Uh, Now, uh, since about the 70s onwards, it's been been regular troops, but but mainly officer training from other countries. I talked to some Russian ones who were uh, in the base Borden in in Ontario, Canada, here. And these these guys wouldn't even have their laundry done by the by, the local camp, they didn't trust them to do the uniforms, so they were taking them in, or getting women to take them in to the, the local laundry mat for dry cleaning. And I got talking to to one of them, and uh, and uh, yeah, they were been training. They were training on base Borden and other camps across Canada, and they come in in influxes till they're trained, and they're, they're being trained in basically the social laws, almost like police in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's not just Russian; you've got to Czechoslovakian and. Belgium and other troops coming and going. So this is a, see, we're already international. And this con game began uh, when they signed uh, the NATO agreement and then, of course, the United Nations Charter. It was all designed to gradually integrate all the forces, not only of Europe, but uh, of North America and Europe. And they've been doing it bit by bit.
0: Well, you know, I had had a conversation with a gentleman last night that you may know. um, He knows who you are. His name is Don Nikoloff. Are you familiar with him?
1: I've heard the name, yeah.
0: Okay. And uh, the conversation got on this because I told him I was going to have you on my show today. And um, he's telling me, his thoughts are that uh, the reason that uh, the Bush administration continuously is sending more troops, uh, you know, under the guise of this, quote, surge is basically that they want to really just kill off our troops and uh, um, you know, have foreign troops come in and invade our soil. Do you, do you follow along that reasoning, or do you, uh, uh, do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily f-
1: exactly for those purposes. There's always two or three purposes, at least, to everything done in politics. They certainly are decimating troops uh, as far as health goes, even if they come back unscathed. They end up falling uh, down a few years later with different diseases, as you well know. Um, But in Canada, too, after Gulf War I, uh, there was articles in some magazines here with even the female troops who their their hair all dropped out, their their teeth were falling out, and they were dying with autoimmune problems rather quickly.
0: And this probably would be related to uh, the inhalation of depleted uranium, yes?
1: I would say that's maybe one part, but primarily since that's in the media, I strongly suspect it was also the inoculations because some of them even came down with all of these symptoms who actually got the inoculations but didn't go abroad. So I think the inoculations have a big part to play in this too.
0: Yeah, well, that would make sense.
1: Uh, Uh, But I I do know that Kissinger, for instance, who was a big planner for long-term strategy, Uh, who was in all the top NATO meetings, and and I'm sure he still is, and Brzezinski and all the rest. But Kissinger did say uh, that one day uh, United States citizens would welcome foreign troops coming in under the right circumstances. And he gave a speech in California to that effect. Uh, At the time, people poo-pooed it, but really, uh, with all the disasters they have planned and, and have told us, of all the disasters that come with global warming and famine shortage and all this kind of stuff, yeah, people could be brought to their knees and would hail these people as as um, victors and helpers as they started passing out food, you know.
0: Well, but is that not by design, though, Alan? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, and I, I mentioned this on my show the other day, is it, it's almost like with all of these events that are going on, they're fighting us on every angle. We've got the North American Union that, uh, uh, you know, that Bush signed this treaty with uh, your country, Canada, as well as Mexico back in 2005, and we've got this influx of these illegal immigrants coming over the border. Matter of fact, right now we're fighting this thing with a, uh, uh, the truckers there, uh, Bush has signed another agreement to allow 100 different Mexican trucking companies to come in here and drive their trucks on American soil. I mean, they're just coming at us at all angles, and it's Yeah, seems...
1: because uh, this is the thing, too. This is not new. It's military planning uh, long-term. That's how the world really is run. It's not politicians that you think you vote in. It's, uh, they simply go into an, a, pre- a pre-existing agenda. And you go back to the Council on Foreign Relations books, and, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. It's the same organization, but the CFR is just the American branch. It doesn't sound too good to have the American Royal Institute, you see. So they, they call it the Council on Foreign Relations. And they were putting books out in the 1930s talking about the future of the Americas. And they said they would be starting with a, the, a European Union. That would happen after World War II. Some of these books were printed in the 1930s, and I have them. Uh, that would be followed by the United States taking over as the policeman of the world for a period. And they'd have a few short conflicts. Uh, they would start failing financially, then they'd rally again, seem to be winning, and then they'd collapse internally through economic collapse. And then China was to take over as the policeman of the world. This was in 1938, this book was written.
0: Now, th- th- this book uh, it has documented the – I mean, they have planned out the, uh-huh. uh, uh, the actual the, – the eventual collapse of the uh, American economy and the whole uh, – I mean, in your estimation, Alan – uh you know cuz we hear all the you know we hear the war drums beating about Iran and uh uh-huh. you know the nuclear weapons and all this poppycock that they're yeah. going to have nuclear weapons and you know start bombing people um, and according to our own CIA uh, it's supposedly at least 10 years before Iran would have a nuclear weapon uh-huh. and uh, uh as far as I'm um, from my understanding is the uh uh, the United Nations' uh, uh, treaty with Iran is that they, they can, if they wish to, build nuclear power plants mm-hmm. there. We're saying no, they can't, and we're, we're uh, propagandizing the American public to think that they're using it to
1: build uh, nuclear weapons. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's the old story. You demonize a target in the public's mind to get them on board, then you attack, mm-hmm. by any means possible, uh, any propaganda possible. Yeah.
0: All right, stick with me, Alan. We're back. I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load with Alan Watt on the line and we're, right now we're talking about Iran. A short segment coming up here. Alan, I wanted to ask you, uh, they've got these war drums that have been beating with Iran for the last year or so. And uh on the other side of that, we have this what it looks like an impending economic collapse with the price of the dollar uh, getting devastated by China selling off some of their uh, uh treasury bonds and so forth. And your estimation, uh and Alan, I, and I give you accolades because I know, you know, you, you, you're you a brilliant mind in all of these aspects, is if... if this nation's leaders, if our politicians are being controlled, and obviously so is the Canadian politicians and the European politicians, and there is the powers that be that are over and above that, i.e., the Illuminati then it would stand to reason that the Iranian government is controlled as well.
1: Would you agree with that? I, I, the top I'd agree, yeah.
0: Okay. So in this, in these war drums that are beating for Iran and, you know, all these threats of, uh, um, you know, nuclear weapons and so forth that Iran's going to have, is this nothing more than a smokescreen to promote fear?
1: It's all fear, but, you see, fear is meant, and especially threat of war, is meant to, like Carol Quigley said, war is basically designed to create social change amongst the population to accept something else, Mm -hmm. a new way of doing things or living or whatever. And uh, that's what it's about. It's not just the the West and the East or or anybody else who has to be uh, altered in their mindset or their own old concepts. It's the populations that have to be retrained into a new way of thinking and looking at the world. That's what it's all about. It's a psychological technique that's used And Quigley said it, and remember Quigley advised presidents and and, uh, the State Department for many years. Quigley said you can get more done on a social level with change in five years of war than 50 years of peace. Because in peacetime, all you have is propaganda and persuasion. In, In wartime, you have propaganda and the use of force and fear behind it to back it up. The the world has to change Into a pre-planned direction And the populations Who must go along with it Thinking it's all developing naturally
0: Yes, and uh uh, from, from coming from the standpoint of a person that woke up himself just a couple of years ago uh, and was introduced to uh, many of these things uh, you know, it's all, it's all fascinating to me it's new to me on the subject of propaganda I remember uh, uh, you know, watching mainstream TV on a nightly basis watching the news and knowing in my gut that there was something wrong I just couldn't put a finger on what it was until I took the initiative one day to get up and start researching it for myself and now that I've come and As far as I have, especially through uh, uh, people like yourself and looking at your website and uh, going down the rabbit hole on a number of different issues, I find that we really, this entire society in which we live, seems to be nothing more than an illusion.
1: It it is. It's a promoted culture. There's no secret, really, within Hollywood and within the whole uh, cultural area. They call it the culture industry. It's been called that uh, in high levels from, for over 100 years, 200 years. Even Plato called it the culture industry, where you basically use drama and uh, propaganda through fiction primarily to download into people's minds specific ideas of acceptance or change or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and because when it's done through fiction, your sensor part of the brain is down. You don't have a little guard up, mm-hmm. you don't question. You think they're being entertained, and that's when all these ideas are put down into your mind, and it's called predictive programming. And the science fiction industry has been one of the better ones for projecting the future, exciting the youngsters, because those ones are getting trained to to accept changes they will experience in their lifetime through the movies they watch.
0: Okay, so were, uh, the people that own a TV, of which, by the way, I'm not one. <laughs> I threw mine out about six months ago, Alan. <laughs> but um, uh, through, the, through the programming on the television set, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I remember uh, Jericho. Okay, there's a, there's a weekly series that was on last year when I had my TV called Jericho, and, and it was a fictitious thing about a bunch of atomic bombs exploding in the United States and what happened to a small community afterwards. And then there's uh, shows like 24. I don't know whether you get them up there, but it's Jack Bauer, and he's always torturing people, and you know he's the hero, and so forth. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is all basically done to desensitize people and to to put it into their subconscious, so it's no surprise for them when it actually yeah. happens.
1: Yeah, because I can remember 20 years ago when he first started giving out uh, the beginnings of video games for children. Mm-hmm. There was a, just little little snippets in the news at the time concerning the the right or the wrong of doing this, because they had been created to train troops and desensitize them so that they could go into combat and kill without thinking. And for the first time here, they are giving them to children. And I knew then, I said, 20 years down the road, there's going to be a major war. They're going to breed uh, a generation of barbarians, really, uh, to go and invade some country. And it, it was no surprise that the Middle East was targeted since it was the last, basically independent conglomerate of the Arabic states uh, that didn't buckle under the new system of democracy, which uh, is mandated under the United Nations.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I've had occasion to, um, you know, be in the midst of uh, uh, young children, oh, you know, pre-adolescent children that are playing these video games. And, well, I'm going to have to hold that thought. I'll get back to that thought as soon as we come back. All right, we're back. Michael Herzog with the American Awakening. And for all my listeners out there, yes, we did change some music around. Anyway, a long segment this time, Alan. Let's get back to uh, what I was talking about. On this video game situation, as I mentioned, um, I, I had occasion to, on a number of different uh, uh, occasions, actually, uh, sit down with my stepchildren and play these games, and um, it's, it seems to be, I mean, it it quickly becomes an addiction because I notice that if I'm doing it and I, if somebody bothers me in the middle of a game, it aggravates me. This is pretty much by design. That I mean, they have introduced this stuff to regiment our children to desensitize them, if you will, so when it happens for real that they will consider it a video game,
1: you think? Yeah, what happens is, you see, they studied during World War II, Especially, they were doing it since the American Civil War when they found out that only a, a fraction of the troops who were dead on a battlefield had actually fired their rifles. And they st- were keeping statistics from the Civil War of America. And in World War II, uh, they were also doing it, they were trying to find ways to speed up the killing rate uh, of the troops. And so they studied how men are in combat. Mm-hmm. And they monitored some of them, too. They actually wired them up with, with basic electronic gear to, to test the, 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 the um, electric frequencies going through their skin, for instance, and how their reaction times were, how they related to each other in combat. And so they tried to emulate the, the, the speed, especially, of things occurring. And when you were when in that situation like that, you're excited, your adrenaline gets up. Uh, you can actually promote a technique to get your adrenaline up, and it's, uh, they're using a visual technique to do that. Your body almost follows suit into a fight-or-flight type of syndrome, a survival syndrome, and everything is so quick. And that's why, even in combat, you can't have someone trying to chat to you if there's an enemies coming from different directions. And so, yeah, they will get aggressive to anyone who tries to interfere with them. They're hooked. They're into a fight-or-flight syndrome, and they've been conditioned to get from the beginning to the end and kill as many as possible. That's and, the whole intent of it.
0: Yeah, that would explain. And I mean, I've, you know, I've perused the Internet and seen some of these videos that uh, from the war in Iraq where these soldiers, uh, American soldiers, are, are blowing up a, you know, a building or whatever, and they, it seems that they're really getting excited about it. They, they, they love yeah. doing it. Yeah, um, they
1: are excited. And we also saw that when they burned down the Waco church. They're very enthusiastic when they went in. However, at the very end, when they set fire to it all, uh, with tanks and all the rest of it, we saw them actually bowing to the fire in the the old uh, high Masonic salute. They all bowed to the fire, you know. So they are, they, they enjoy this kind of thing once they're into it
0: that's amazing well listen you know on the subject of the the programming and video games and so forth as as I was perusing through your website uh, Alan I ran across this um, uh, segment on movies and I wanted to ask you because there's a number of them some of them of which I've seen matter of fact one of them I just promoted yesterday that I would think all my listeners if they haven't already seen it need to go see because I think it's a great analogy for what kind of uh, uh, a world we really live in and that's the movie they live you're familiar with that one oh yeah um it's a great movie great analogy of the illusion of which the powers that be are painting that uh, we live in are making us think we live in and it's not until you put the glasses on that you that you see uh what's really going on but my question to you regarding this there's a number of them there's uh, uh they live there's uh soylent green eyes wide shut the matrix matrix two and three my question to you is in your opinion Alan, do you think that these movies are put out by the industry as a hint or as a, um, as a um, you know, uh, what, what's the word I want to use? A predictive uh, programming, really. Right. Or, or, or is it some people in the movie industry that know about, you know, the New World Order, the Illuminati, if you will, and they're trying to warn us?
1: Well, I've always said the one thing we do know is that Hollywood... Um, they don't come out with these futuristic movies that we end up eventually living through in reality because they have better imaginations or they're better writers. It's because they're let in on uh, the agenda, the world's agenda. Uh, they, they get their stories from men and, and women who work at futurist societies, which are employed by the big think tanks. And so that's where their ideas are coming from, basically. There's always a few ones that come out. And uh, generally not promoted too widely, which has good information in them. They're not promoted from the top, but they do give a a good insight. But but I'd say some of the biggest ones definitely have to be. See, all all publications, whether it's movies or books, have to be authorized to get out there. Uh, That's what the public don't understand. Even the ones that that, uh, appear to be fighting this, because we're looking at a dialectical process here. How publishing companies work, and George Orwell found out, he was one of the first ones to find out, it it doesn't work the way Joe Public thinks it does, where you write away, you scribble something down and send off your manuscript, hoping a publisher will take up on it and fund it and put it out for you. They work as censorship houses to see what the public will get. And, And often the publishers will come to a person, an author, and tell them what to write, in fact.
0: So there's that's, a number. A so there's a number of filters that something would have to go through. If you sat down and wrote a book and you wanted to make a movie out of it, and you sent it off to, you know, ABC uh-huh. producer, yeah. uh, even if he wanted to make it into a movie, he has to put it through certain filters, certain.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Hey, nothing gets out there unless it's allowed. To get out there, that's 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 by the official stamp, that is, yeah.
0: I see. And that's being controlled by, do we know exactly who's controlling this? Uh,
1: Well, we've always, uh, publishing houses were set up with that purpose from probably 150 years ago. We think it's just happening, now we're losing freedom. But we aren't. All the big boys are doing is changing their system to the next level. It was always their system, the moneyed boys. It's always been that way. When George Orwell came back from fighting in the Spanish Civil War, he went off as a hero of the socialist left from Britain. He was trained and picked by professors in Cambridge. That's how they do it, still do. When he came back to do the rounds, he was saying, wait a minute, I was fooled here. I've met the communists. They're not exactly the same as us. And there's somebody over them controlling them and us. And the the people didn't want to hear that. And when he tried to publish... 1984, and Animal Farm, he had contracts already existing with uh, the biggest publishers in, in Britain. They refused to allow those books to be published, yet to find another one to do it for them. Fascinating. They didn't want that information out, because they wanted the people to believe at that time it was just left versus right.
0: Well, now, somebody that's as objective and has been down as many uh, you know, uh, avenues and and trails as we have and I know you've been down more many more sir than I have uh, but it would seem as if once once the enlightenment comes and once you realize that indeed you know our country for example isn't uh, you know B- George Bush really isn't the quote decider um, then it would seem to be based upon the conclusion that you draw that the powers that be the Illuminati if you will would almost have a list for example they would have orchestrated out several events with which to happen in the future just like this shooting that happened the other day okay you know on such and such a date this is going to happen and in the meantime while we're doing that we're going to dumb down the american public with propaganda and uh, you know defer their attention over to this or that or the other thing in the meantime we're going to be uh, putting gun legislation and hate crimes legislation on the agenda i mean would it would it would an intelligent individual that knows as much as we do about this, could we draw the conclusion that they literally have events planned out for the next year, two, five years,
2: ten years?
1: There's no doubt. In fact, we don't have to guess at it. They've told us they have. Uh, Every day on the news now, uh, we're seeing the real part of the fear tactic, which is to be climate change. The the drumbeats have been beating all winter about it. Uh, Every media and, and the planet now has a special section every night on their news. They get us all conditioned to the, the world climate changes. Never mention all the spraying that happens over our heads every day or the harp banging away as it does every day. But we have to be convinced now that it's a threat from out there. A long time ago, they, they hoped to use um, high technology to create holograms of spacecraft and stuff to get us all terrified of a, an invasion or something. The real threat from out there that they're creating is the climate change and how we all must change our way of living Come into the UN habitat areas, uh, give up our old way of life. We can't breed like we used to. We can't pick our own mates. In fact, they even screen you for genetic, uh, what they're calling abnormalities or defects. We're well on our way to a new type of, of society that will serve the elite better for the future that they have planned. We're watching... It's not just the immediate things next year or in five years' time. These guys have the next hundred years or more mapped out.
0: And from the, the, the mindset of a layman, which I consider myself to be in a lot of areas... I mean, it's so fascinating, it's so unbelievable, that it's really hard to digest. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, there was a movie that came out last year, and I believe it, there was an award won for it, uh, called An Inconvenient Truth. And it's Al Gore, and it's about global warming, and ultimately there's you know, a global tax that's involved that they're beating the drums for and so forth. But again, this is all part of the plan.
1: It's all part of the plan, and he was picked for that role. He doesn't write his books. None of them do. It's, they're all ghostwritten for them. And uh, with teams of authors, and it was the same back in H.G. Wells's day. So uh, they give us the heroes to follow, or the ones who terrify us and become leaders in a certain area. But yeah, this global warming is to change everything in our lives, and they now must convince us that we are causing it, the public are causing it. That's their job. And, and how we must stop being independent and come into the habitat areas where experts will decide for us how we live in every facet of your life.
0: These guys are pretty slick and crafty, aren't they, Alan?
1: Well, what you're looking for is is political military strategy. Mm -hmm. Wars don't go on just with troops fighting troops. That's what's portrayed to the people. Even in World War II, they were using bacterial warfare labs, viral warfare labs, and various scientists to try and find ways of destroying all the infrastructure of a nation right down to mutating the genes in animals' brains, the cattle the, for, for food. That uh, was the same as mad cow disease, by the way, just coincidentally. They had it made in 1944. And uh, other things which would kill the crops off so that you starve the people out. The next thing was how to contaminate water so that you couldn't drink it. The basic essentials for life, that's what they're all after. The UN wants to write they control and own and distribute all of them.
0: They want total control of us, lock, stock, and barrel. That's and that, it. Yeah, and that brings up another issue. And we touched on this just a little bit when we started, because I read that excerpt from you where you were talking about you were a young boy in Scotland watching these experiments with the chemtrails. And I had a uh, I had a lovely lady on my show last week, uh, Rosalind Peterson, who's uh, uh, with or was with the Department of Agriculture uh, uh, regarding this, and she's written several several articles uh, regarding this. The 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 chemtrail spraying that they're doing. Let's touch on that for a minute. I believe that you wrote an article about that. Am I right, sir?
1: Of course, you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, what, in your estimation, uh, and I'm forgive me, I haven't read your articles, but what, in your estimation, exactly are they doing with those to us?
1: Again, it's probably multi-purposed because we know that for sure, just by observation, it controls the weather. It can either bring on rain or it can disperse clouds. It depends on the mix they're using. And they're, they're using both methods. About seven years ago, I first noticed thunder clouds would come. You'd get everything under cover. You'd get inside waiting for it bursting. You'd have silence for an hour. You went back outside and you, you saw them disappearing And all that was left was a few of these hazy contrails left, these chemtrails in the sky. And I'd never seen anything like that before. So, yeah, they can disperse it. And that's what they were doing initially for a few years, especially over the farmland countries. They had drought after drought after drought. The clouds would come in, they would disperse, they'd have drought. And then for the last two years out west in Canada, they had flooding. The last flooding I saw... A woman was standing outside her home waiting for it to get washed away. The cameras were there from the CBC. And right above their heads was a big X in the sky with all the chemtrails, which they never mentioned, of course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they're bringing both on because your farming industry was decided to get rid of it a long time ago because they said, even in World War II, when they were creating all their various plans for the future, uh, they said that farming was too important to the left of the individual farmer, and that the future must be given over to agribusinesses and experts. So they've been putting, again, it's full-scale war on the farmer. Again, in World War II, apart from ways to decimate crops, to decimate the cattle for food, and so on, and make the people sick as well by aerial spraying, which was one of their main methods, they also discuss killing off the bees which pollinate the crops for the farmers.
0: Which is evidently happening so now. So you're
1: seeing all of the symptoms of a full-scale war, which they would use in any war, only it's worldwide now.
0: Well, let's go there for a minute, Alan, uh, on, on the bee. And I've seen reports. I haven't really, I haven't had anybody on that was an expert in this, but I've seen reports about the bee population that is being uh, mysteriously dying, is what they're saying. i so mysterious, yes. Well, that's what they're
1: saying, okay. Uh-huh, yeah.
0: um, and, and so your take on that is that, that these chemicals that are being sprayed in the atmosphere are what is killing them?
1: It's partly that, however, it's to do with the modified crops. Because I've watched it over the last seven or eight years. And I know one of the head beekeepers for... He's the head of one of the associations in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And he, t- I watched, I actually got my help with these bees, and his bees were coming in from the north and uh, falling dead uh, all days. And I asked him, I said, well, oh, find out what crops are growing northwards to you. Because certain. see, the, the, the beekeepers know which direction particular hives will go in. They all have their own direction. Right, yes. He eventually, like pulling teeth from, you know... He managed to get something from the Ministry of Agriculture, and it did state that, yeah, there were test fields up there, to the north of him, uh, of genetically modified uh, crops. So uh, these crops are so full of pesticides, because they can dose them to 10 times with higher concentrations of pesticide, They're lethal, basically, to to birds like the crows. That's where the crows are dying off. It's not West Nile virus. it's It's the poison. And the bees are the same. That's what's killing them off.
0: All right, let's hold that thought, Alan. We've got a short segment coming up here, and we've got my special guest, Alan Watt, on the line. Fascinating fella. Um, Alan, back to the bees for a minute. Uh, are, you're saying that they're genetically modified. Well, then, these bees are dying because of their genetically mod, they're interacting with these genetically modified plants or flowers, uh, taking their nectar out. And the powers that be, they know this,
1: correct? They know it, they know it, yeah. I mean, come on, they can, they, they, they can admit that they can take any kind of, uh, gene and all the rest of it, splice it with other ones and create brand new creatures, but they just can't find out. It's a big mystery why the bees are dying off like this. Well, the, the hives are toxic. The healthy bees that are just coming out get out as fast as they can. They're all leaving. And what you're finding, too, a like good sign of toxicity, is that the insects who normally take over, which are other bees or else ants and, and other things go in there, when the bees have left, they're not going in at all. Nothing's going in. So it's highly toxic. That's your clue there.
0: Well, now, is there any truth to the rumor that I've heard is this if the bee population were to die, that within four years the human population would die?
1: Not quite. I mean, uh, you only certainly come down, because the farmers do have these uh, hives brought into their fields every year, and the bees do an awful lot of the pollination, absolutely. However, don't forget that the mandate is that in the future, the near future, All we will have are modified crops, and they have different methods of of, um, uh, bringing them to fruition, all their modified crops. They even have the terminator genes, which you can't, uh, they won't won't basically uh, uh, reproduce themselves. You have to go back every year and buy the seeds. So once again, you're a slave to the seed master. Mm -hmm. Uh, They tried this in India. India's had riots over the last few years trying to fight this. They, didn't, they knew instinctively if the big boys were a hold of the monopoly of seeds and they had to buy them from every every year they'd increase and increase until they were starved and they couldn't afford to buy them. So they put up a tremendous struggle. However, they've still got the modified food rammed down their throats, so... This is a mandate we're looking
0: at. Yeah. Um, well, you know, a quick subject I wanted to touch on. I'll tell you, let me ask you, Alan, my phone lines are starting to load up, and I haven't even opened up the phones yet. <laughs> so uh, would you be averse to taking some phone calls? No, sure. Okay. I wanted to ask you one more quick thing about the HARP the program up there in Alaska and uh, your take on whether this is uh, to modify the weather or indeed if it is also a, a form of weaponry.
1: It's both. It's been used consistently day and night now for the last, oh, six years, I guess. You can pick it up on some shortwave stations if you tune through. And also, you can affect the mood of people and the the intellectual capacity of people by the type of frequency you put out. You've got a secondary signal. This is all declassified stuff Mm -hmm. that's come out from governments. And uh, the one in Alaska is not the only one. They have about 54 or more of them worldwide that we know of.
0: We're going to go to a break at the top of the hour. Got my special guest Alan Watt on the line. I'm going to open up the phone lines. If you have any kind of a question for my guest, I'm I'm sure that you know there's there's several questions that you guys would be asking, and and uh, I could be on here all day asking this guy about everything because guys like these, I just love to pick their brain. Let's go to Don in Ohio. Don, you're on with uh, Alan and Michael. Go ahead. Hi, Michael and Alan. Oh. Uh, Alan, this is, this is Don Nikoloff.
2: I'm pleased to meet you. Uh, pleased to meet you, sir. I've been uh, reading your, your work. Uh, you're doing an excellent job, and I'm glad Michael was able to get you for an interview.
1: Yeah, thanks.
2: I hope it's not the only one. No. I wanted to ask if you were familiar with the Madrid Circular, which was discovered around 1950, and a subsequent book that T.H. Tetons came out with in 1953 called Germany Plots with the Kremlin. Yeah. Are, are you familiar, and, and do you put much credence in, in the, uh, the information that came out? It seems to be quite prophetic.
1: Uh, it's, um, there was much better books put out, in fact. In fact, after I saw my first chemtrail, when I was small, I went to the adult library and I got a book. It was by André Bofre, the French general who was the head of NATO. And he wrote a book called NATO and Europe. And in that book... He gave all of the long-term strategy and why it must be so. His job was really to convince uh, other lesser bureaucratic institutions to go along with this long-term world agenda. And he he mentions how it must be played out to the public of the different countries. So there are many official books put out there. I just had no one bored to read them, and yet the libraries were full of them, gathering dust. Yeah. Well,
2: my attention was drawn to that, uh, uh, this particular book because of the Madrid circular. That, that was basically the confirmation that the, the SS, the underground Abwehr, or the, uh, what, what was referred to as the Deutsche Verteidigungsdienst, mm-hmm. uh, the underground SS, in other words, after the yeah. war, intended to attack the United States over a long-term plan. And they, they, they brought them into the CIA. In 1947,
1: just you see, the CIA that was started up with the OSS. Yes. um, They sent over Stevenson from England. Well, actually, he was from Canada, but went to lived in England. But he set up the CIA for the Americans, and they brought in all the communist guys, and the socialists, and the the, the, uh, they also brought in the Nazis as well. This is a conglomeration of all the top elitist groups. I agree. Yeah, and, and uh, so, and yeah, see, when you look at the top agenda with the psychopathic minds who want world conquest, who all believe, they, each one believes he's the most supreme being that's ever lived. He is the most evolved, and they believe in evolution um, and power and the right to take power as a struggle. Uh, so it doesn't matter if they call themselves Soviet at the top level or, or Nazi or anything else. It's the same personality with the same belief system, really, which is they are the most evolved with the right to dominate the rest and plan the lives of those underneath them.
0: All right, I have to interrupt yes. you, General. We have to go to a break. All right, we're back. Don, you have another question for him?
2: Uh, yeah. Um, Alan, you alluded to the fact that uh, this is a long-term plan. Um, back in the early 1990s, it may have been right at 1990 in um, Long Beach, California, uh, they signed off a 25-year lease allowing the Chinese to control the port of Long Beach. And instantly, Costco was born. Now, what was interesting, I looked up uh, the board of directors and I found Alexander Haig was on, right. on that board. Do you see that as the setup for the uh sometimes predicted war that we're supposed to have in 2008 with China?
1: It, it could be a, a war, but I think it's more likely it'll be a, a gradual over a long period of time and simple takeover as more come in. And not only is, it was Haig on the board, so was the ex-Prime Minister of Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Ted Heath. He was yeah. also on the board of it. Uh, this was again planned a long time ago. It's so amazing. See, this is where the Joe public cannot think. They don't think like Brzezinski said, because they've been trained not to think. Mm -hmm. They've been trained to believe their media is keeping them informed and uh, to tell them what's important. Uh, But if the media doesn't stress the abnormality or the anomaly of a situation, the public won't think about it. We've all lived through this transference of wealth to China through the GATT Treaty. It It took 50 years to set up negotiations and bureaucracies and laws to get China set up be the manufacturer of the world. It didn't happen uh, overnight. They didn't even have the people trained there. They were all training in, in universities in Canada and the U.S. as engineers and designers to go back. So uh, that was a long-term strategy for, for that to happen. Now, isn't it odd, too, they're still labeled as a communist country? Yes. And here they are. You think about it, because you mentioned earlier in the show, and it was said so casually, that the import was missed. China took over from Japan as being the main holder of U.S. debt. Now, if you think your leaders would ever allow themselves to give to an enemy the purse to hold their long-term debt, that would mean your leaders were insane. These people are not insane. You don't give away your infrastructure, your means to defend yourself, never mind your economic system, to an enemy. That tells you that China is not their enemy, you see?
2: Well, yes, and and we know that Bush and Clinton have been involved in business with Lee
1: Ka-Shing, too. Oh, yeah, they're all in cahoots together. And after they had their Tiananmen Square massacre, where the students tried to bring in some kind of of Western-type, again, that word democracy, we saw what happened to them, and then the president sent over his brother as the envoy to calm down the elites of China and say, don't worry, America's not too worried about what you've done here to the students. Um, a trade must go on. Sure. Well, I want to uh,
2: open uh, uh, the, this line to other callers. So, Alan, pleasure meeting you. Hey, thanks, uh, Don. I appreciate uh, it. Hope man. we have a chance to speak again, and, uh-huh. and thanks a lot, Michael. Yeah, great point. All
0: <laughs> right, let's go to Mike in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Mike.
2: Yeah.
3: By chance. Have you heard from uh, Jackie Petru lately? Not at all. No? Uh, she should be doing good, I hope.
1: I don't know. The last uh, uh, talk I had on the radio, she got rather angry, and just that was it.
3: Okay, well, I haven't not...
1: heard from her since. <laughs> uh,
3: oh, okay. Um, uh, back to the uh, the uh, aerosolized spraying. Uh-huh. Mr. Uh, Herzog. Yes, sir. Yes, you're down there in uh, Texas there, and I'll tell you what, they are absolutely positively stealing the rain down there. Um, these uh, aircraft that they send out for these storm fronts are, are injecting potassium hydroxide, which is a super moisture absorbent. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and if you'll notice, look up, um, look out the drought maps on the uh, – on the Internet there, and you'll see right where they're bringing that road up through, there is a constant drought in that area. They, they, they constantly bombard the fronts that come into that, uh, that NAFTA road they want to put up through there, that uh, Texas corridor. Uh-huh. So you Texans down there, uh, instead of having a corridor watch, you better have a sky watch and get on somebody down there. These planes are UN-controlled. They have spoofers, uh transponders on them, and the local radars will not pick them up.
0: Really? Yes, well, i tell do. you, you know, not to, I don't want to disagree with you, uh, Mike, but I will say this. I've been here now for about, oh, I don't know, about a month, and one of my complaints that I've had coming from Arizona, which it hardly ever rains, one of my complaints that I've had is I haven't seen the sun. I'm seeing it today, but I haven't seen it for too many days. And I, although I'm not from here, and so I don't know what to expect as far as the weather, I can tell you in the past month it has rained here, uh, at least in this area, it has rained probably five times. Well, sir,
3: if you'll go down from the border there where they're looking to jump it with mm-hmm. that road, it'll run up just below Austin there. They are a super dehydrating that area so that the ranchers are going to give up and sell off cheap. They're, going to make, they're making it so miserable down there that uh, they'll sell it for pennies, and they know exactly what they're up to. And then the USDA comes in and tries to give them uh, uh, drought relief money.
0: Interesting. Alan, you want to comment on it?
1: Yeah, I, I know they're, they're doing this. They did it in Canada, too. In fact, the CBC, that's, the big, that's our BBC version, the government version for Canada of, of television and radio. They admitted two days ago, or stated, because they they dictate to the public in these democratized countries, they dictated to the public that suicides amongst farmers are now labeled under a farming disease under climate change, because so many of them are committing suicide now because of the continued or alternating droughts and then floods.
0: Well, let me ask a question, gentlemen. Uh, the, the control, obviously, that they have on this specific area, is this due to what they're doing with the chemtrails, the HARP, or a combination of both?
1: It's both. It's, it's both. both. Okay. Uh, yeah. You, you'll find um, uh, not only does it have the potassium and it, it's got aluminum oxide as well, uh, that also is hygroscopic; it tracks moisture. In fact, what you're seeing, like even here today, they've been really going at it spring big time, uh, there's puddles on the roads and in the fields and yet the air is as dry as can be with a temperature of about 80 degrees it should be humid now with and those puddles should be empty the aluminum oxide and potassium brings the the molecules of water right down to the actual ground itself and so you're above the ground as you're standing there you're breathing in dry air yeah
0: wow well anything else you have mike
3: Yes. um, Don't be fooled by this tic-tac-toe stuff in the sky and the lines also that we have all seen. They also start spraying roughly 3 to 4 a.m. in the morning, and they lay down this haze pattern. Uh, Just because you see the tic-tac-toe stuff, they also have an intermediate spray pattern where they do like a pulsed spraying, and you get a really artificial, hard-to-see, well, uh, hard-to-designate if it's a real cloud or not. So... Don't be fooled by the tic-tac-toe stuff, and, uh, they, and uh, they spray sometimes from um, five to eight thousand feet. And these things, if you'll watch them, guys, they'll just roll and turn and boil. They're 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 basically somewhat disappear and then evolve again. Uh, that uh, is also a, a barium uh, product there. And uh, if you will look, one thing they won't tell you. Uh, it's not so much the CO2, but uh, it's the actual uh, ultraviolet compound. You have compound A, B, and C. It's, it's the C that they're really trying to control, and it does con- cause blindness. But as uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Watts said there, it is a multi-pronged attack.
1: Fascinating. I think, I think nice. we should uh, um, think we'd also add on to that uh, another, another purpose, because after 9-11, the next day, on Canadian television I don't know if they showed it in the US they often show us parts they will, they will, you won't see but Rumfeld was asked what he would do uh, if another major attack happened on a city and caused tremendous panic would he try and flee he said, he, said, he said we have vast volumes of aerosolized Prozac and Valium to spray over entire cities and it hit me right then I thought you know they're not waiting for an attack. They've been doing it for the last few years because uh, yes, the public are getting dozy.
3: Yes, sir. They absolutely primed the public's mind before 9-1-1 also. They went in there and sprayed early in the morning before they dropped those buildings down. And one more thing, gentlemen, and I'll let you go. The massive... Uh, these. Yeah. These boys have been funded... Wait a minute.
0: Stop, stop, Mike. Uh, you cut out there for a second. I don't know if you're on a cell. Repeat what you just said, sir. Uh,
3: oh, by the way, the, uh, the major upper respiratory uh, troubles that they know that everyone's going to have from these springs is being covered by the American Lung Association. Yeah. And uh, they have funded it and saying the secondhand smoke is calling... Uh, right. Yes, they have.
0: And, gentlemen, I'll let you be. Hey, Mike, yeah. thank you so much for the call. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's see. got about a minute before the break. I'm going to bring up, I've got another call here, uh, uh, Alan. I'm going to bring up Bobby from Texas and hold him over if I need be. Bobby, go ahead. You're on with Alan and Michael.
4: Yes, how are you all doing? Uh, just talking about, uh, this, you've been here for a
0: month, you say. Yes, sir. I'll tell
4: you what, before that month, we, were, we had been in a drought for two years here. Okay. And I'll hold on until we get back.
0: Yeah, okay, Bobby. Uh, we're on with my guest, Alan Watt. This is Michael Herzog, The American Awakening. Short segment coming up here down to the bottom of the hour of about four or five minutes. We're on with, uh, my special guest, Alan Watt. Bobby from Texas. Go ahead and continue, sir.
4: Yes, sir. Uh, I have a business here in Austin. Uh huh. And, uh, yesterday, I've been a big, I've been watching our skies here for a long time. Just waking up in the morning. I live out in the hill country. I'm on a hill and I see these lines. And yesterday morning, I knew that I had to go do some work for a retired general of the Air Force. And they were spraying our skies real heavy, so I couldn't wait to get there just to ask him what he thought about it. And when I got there, and I pointed up in the sky, and I said, can you tell me what those are? He says, those are Air Force bombers, and they're running exercises. That was his exact words, but he could not tell me anything more than that. He said it had to do with war games. But then he tried to tell me they were contrails, and... They were water vapors, and they'd disappear. And I started explaining to them that, hey, they don't. Look at them. They keep going and crossing. They hit us very heavy yesterday, and they're still doing it. My wife and I just went on an exercise right now, just walking, and they're just they're doing it again to us today. I'm trying to figure out exactly what they are, just to wake the people up to it.
0: Well, uh, Alan, you have a comment on exactly what they are?
1: Well, the general cannot tell you. He's sworn to secrecy. My, uh, my wife... Know. Uh-huh.
4: My wife went on NASA's website, and they actually want you to count the lines in your sky per day and email them how many lines you see. Yeah, uh huh.
1: And, and they're also teaching children now from documented movies made by NASA to recognize contrails, these new contrails, and just call them contrails, even though they, they are completely different from what we, we saw but 10 years ago. So they're getting the, the young generation who will go through the big changes, which means it's a long-term strategy. They're getting them conditioned to, to think that we really just contrails. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go to
0: John in Rancho Cucamonga uh, in California.
5: How are you doing there, uh, Michael and uh, Alan? Uh, good to talk to you guys. Yeah. How are uh, you? I'm okay. Uh, see, I must be the only one in the whole uh, listing audience that doesn't have your, uh, uh, your uh, website address, Mr. Watt. Could you please give that to me?
1: Yes, uh, you can go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com, okay? Or you can go through dot
5: Cuttingthroughthematrix.com, I'll tr- I'll try that. It'd be to the same place, right? Yeah. Okay. And and Mr. Watt you also referenced um or, or alluded to a, a several books that were written um in in uh, in uh, the 1930s or 1938 and maybe subsequently. Uh, predicting a lot of the things that are coming true now and you mentioned one that was written in 1938 and
1: uh, could, could you give me a title and an author for that by any chance? It was put out by <laughs> the Rockefeller Foundation they published it and sponsored it and paid for it all it was the m- annual meeting of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations for America. It was the minutes of their meeting Oh. And they put it into a book called uh, uh, The Future of, of Britain and the Empire. And yeah. it was all to do with post-war reconstruction after the war. This is before the war even started. They had the whole agenda for the next century planned okay. right now. Let, let,
0: let me stop you. I'll hold you over. Got to go to a break, John. Let's go back to the phones. And John Rancho Cucamonga, go ahead.
5: Yeah, uh, Alan, uh, you were just talking about that Rockefeller Foundation, uh, Royal Institute of International Affairs meeting notes of uh, 1938, I guess. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea how I would go about getting a copy of that?
1: You could maybe try. No, I don't know if later editions, like with the original ones, I don't know if the later editions were altered down the memory holes, as they say. They, they put uh, take parts out. If you try uh, the Oxford University Press, you might get a copy.
5: Okay. All right. Any chance of you putting something like that on your website? If I had time, I would. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay.
1: an honest answer. I like I, I,
0: I'll tell you, John, you're going to get lost in this guy's website. Okay, yeah. It's a fascinating site. I've been
1: messing around with it for And uh, uh, also, I'd also get Jack's Attali's book because that gives the future for the American unification and what's to happen as they come up from Latin America. Jax Attali was the basically the, the Kissinger of Europe who spearheaded the, the, the Union of, of Europe he was advisor to, to Francois Mitterrand, and now he's up there at the United Nations working. But he, he called his book Millennium and written in, I think it was published in 1990. It gave the whole agenda um, with the borders coming down, when they'll come down. As the economy goes under, he said, in fact, uh, the next boat people will see in the world will be those leaving the Americas looking for work abroad.
5: Oh, and, and the spelling of his last name?
1: It's A-T-T-A-L-I, Atali. Oh, A-t- Atali. And the book is called Millennium. Millennium, okay. All right, well, well, thanks a lot then, uh,
0: Michael and uh, Alan. Uh, good talking to you. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate the call. Without further ado, let's go to Richard in Texas. Richard, you're on with Alan and Michael.
3: Oh, how are you doing today, gentlemen? I just wanted to ask you. To, I called the other day, and uh, you probably were a little rushed. You didn't have time to think about it. Maybe this gentleman can ask. You know, with all these new millionaires we have coming online and new billionaires, are they going to stand by and watch all their money and all their wealth be taken to from this, you know, this group that wants to just reduce all the peons? And I'll close with that if you can answer that question.
1: All right. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Alan, go ahead. Well, the millionaires, are, see, millions, a million dollars is nothing nowadays, <laughs> really, in the way things work. Uh, they're already having their global meetings and strategies, hoping they can invest in the right countries, meaning China. And they hope that they and their families will escape the, the worst of what's going to happen in the West. I know this because I've been asked to go and talk at some of these meetings in nice, exotic, faraway places. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's what happens. The, the millionaires are trying, they're already investing in China, and some of them are actually moving out. A lot of the American middle class, upper middle class, in fact. The bureaucratic class are already uh, taking their families to the brand-new cities in China, that were built for Westerners for for them to come in and help build up the infrastructure and the bureaucratic techniques are introduced into China. So this is already underway.
0: So it's kind of like, uh, well, I don't want to say rats deserting a sinking ship, but a lot of people that are in the upper middle class in this country are finding other places to live.
1: Yes, they are. They're they're moving out. I know some, some people that are up there. And they've they brought in over the last few years Chinese nannies to teach their children to speak the languages, and they're moving off and packing up and going off to China. Uh-huh. And they have built tremendously ultra-modern cities, uh, much further than the West even, because all the money has been put into China to accommodate them. So, yeah, this is already underway.
0: Well, let me ask you, Alan. Um, you had alluded back uh, a little while ago uh, to the term psychopath. And there's a number of books that I have read regarding the Illuminati and so forth. And it seems like the large majority, if not all, of these people are psychopaths. Yeah. It's like they gravitate towards this. They are power-hungry uh, and they have to be of a certain mindset without conscience or soul, if you will, yeah. to actually you know, uh, be put into this position. I mean, the lower levels are, I don't know whether they're analyzed or whether they are tested or whatever it is that happens before. They don't get up into the upper echelons of this control grid unless they are indeed psychopaths.
1: Absolutely. Uh, even with the regular Freemasonry at the bottom, that's where they come in. That's the catchment area. And and those who can keep their mouth shut, keep secrets, are gradually sifted out. The ones who don't mind getting extra free benefits from society, the profane beneath them, are are watched. And if they're useful, especially in the area of creating public opinion, like a small newspaper uh, man or something like that and an editor, they'll bring them up into the higher ranks because the creation of public opinion and the control of public opinion is of paramount importance as they they bring us all through this. So, yeah, they look for the psychopathic traits of people who don't have conscience, who can do the most terrible things and yet sleep it well at night without sleeping pills. Uh, That's the psychopath, egocentric, power-hungry, and no empathy for other people, but a fantastic show of empathy in front of the public. That's why uh, psychiatry is well aware that the best politicians are psychopaths. They were labeled that long, long ago. And that's a fact.
0: So it's an individual that has no soul, no heart, and basically can, sh- can act like they do.
1: <laughs> Incredible. The, the the best actors in the world. In fact, it's a category of them um, class, classed alongside some of the best actors who also have the same traits. Mm-hmm. Uh, an actor takes on a character role, it's difficult for an average person to do. Uh, but a psychopath has no problem because they watch, they study other people and emulate how they react with each other. But they don't necessarily feel the emotion that's involved. Well,
0: you know, that brings up another question, Alan. And from your research, and uh, uh, obviously you've done quite a bit of it, how far? I mean, this is nothing new. Um, no. How far does this go back in, into time?
1: Well, uh, we know that even the sections that were taken out of holy books, for instance. I mean, holy books and psychopaths always end up predominating. Once they're cleaned out, they gradually come back in, pretending they are you and speaking on your behalf. That's how they get into power, even at the bottom level. We know that they've taken parts sort of even, even the Western Bibles to do with the... And you can find this in books from, again, Oxford University Press on, on myths. Uh, for, it's called myths, um, uh, Jewish myths and fables. But it also tells you some of the Psalms that they took out of the Old Testament. And they claim that in a previous time, uh, these characters had got to such a higher level of control of the ancient world that they were hunted down eventually by the people and destroyed. And those that did escape fled and hid in the mountains. And uh, the people pursued them, trying to kill them. And that's why they, they eventually start coming back. That's why they always start secret societies With passwords and so on, so they can recognize each other.
0: Wow, that's it goes very deep. Well, tell me, I mean, with as 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 deeply underlying as this is, and I mean, there's several levels to the onion, if you will. and the average, you know, normal, everyday guy, whether he be Canadian or whether he be, you know, American or Mexico or any place in the world, the average person just wants to live their life, you know, raise their family, make a living. We're not out for power. We're not out for, you know, uh, money and so forth. Most of us aren't. We're just out to be happy and live a normal life and be left alone. And so we're really, uh, people like us are at a disadvantage when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, These kind of people and the fact that they control us. So, in your mind, coming from this standpoint, is it? I mean, can we look at this and say, okay, is there any possible way, like there was back in the past, when the people finally, uh, you know, they they stood up and they defeated these people, and the the bad, you know, the psychopaths ran off to the mountains. I mean, is it possible with the technology in this day and age to do the same thing? Can we defeat these people?
1: Yeah, they can be defeated. Although I I must admit, this time. Uh, these characters have, see, they've always pulled in professors of history, ancient religions, uh, and so on, into government, high think tanks, to find out what happened in the past. It concerns them because they, uh, they know that things happen by the same techniques and same formulas. Mm-hmm. That's why the rush is on for totalitarian power and even brain chipping, as the Ministry of Defense in Britain came out with in The Guardian last week. They want us all chipped so that we can't possibly speak out or do anything against them. So they know. They know how this, this, uh, this cycle, you might say, works. Once a psychopath, though, is exposed, if you have enough people who say, wait a minute, this king has no clothes, not just one little boy, but, but everybody saying, this king has no clothes here, all his uh, impressive suits and uh, and the way he's dressed and wrapped in your flag your national emblems they don't work anymore he stands naked and when that happens that's when the psychopath breaks he he can't handle being Called out for what he is.
0: Well, you know, you speak of the chip. I mean, I have read reports. Um, and again, you know, I'm not saying that this is true or not true. I'm just saying I've read reports. It's, it, it, they've, they've actually got plans for beyond a the chip. They've got yeah. plans for things that are implanted that would make uh, society as a whole of, as a, I would say, of what they would call a hive mind.
1: They published it in their meeting at uh, Loyola University, the World Science Meeting. And they went through the whole formula. They said that regional uh, computers are already set up, huge super-cray computers. These are super-cooled, liquid-cooled computers, Mm -hmm. huge buildings of them. And each region, as they called it, which will handle uh, the coming brain chips, they said the brain chips are ready to go. All we have to do now is convince the public of the need to take them. And that will be done through fear and hype and terror And it's also been pushed through movies for the young, where their their, their heroes have superpowers with a brain chip and all this stuff. It's already appeared in movies. And they said it it will be put out to appeal to the young through novels and movies and so on.
0: And we're not looking at very... I mean, that's not in the the far distant future. We're talking about something that's right really around the corner. It's closer than we think.
1: I'd I'd say it's about three years away.
0: Three years. Well, now, and that brings up another thing... Um, I had uh, had occasion to run across a situation where they were using a, a vaccine, or a shot, if you will, to uh, supposedly prevent people from smoking. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, a complete set of documents when we had gone in there that you were to sign that was going to, you know... disclaimer. yeah. Uh, it was a disclaimer it was to to give them you know or you couldn't you couldn't sue them mm-hmm. and uh, I thought to myself, well now, why would somebody have this many disclaimers? Why would you have to sign this many documents to waive your right to sue these people unless there must be something in that shot that's going to do something other than just you know take away your craving for a cigarette and I did a little research on it later, and I found out that uh, there are certain things they put into vaccines that do something to, I'm not sure whether it's the neurotransmitters or synopsis, something in your brain that, yes, it would take the craving away from a cigarette, but it it would also take away any endorphin rush that you would get from scoring a touchdown or from uh, you know, uh, seeing somebody hit a home run at a baseball game or whatever. In your estimation, uh, uh, have you heard of anything like that?
1: I know they've experimented with a lot of things along the same line. What you would end up with is a lot of very apathetic people or, or depressed people, ultimately, if, they, if their own endorphins can't kick in to make, give you that little bit of euphoria or happiness, you would end up having depression amongst the people. Well, um, however, don't forget that the causing depression and apathy is also a military strategy mm-hmm. that the published bash uh, screeds and screeds of stuff on. It's a known technique to create apathy amongst people. Right. Well. I think that we're under full-scale war from all the inoculations, to be honest, that they've been giving us for the last 60 or 70 years.
0: Um, I'm not sure about Canada, but I know here, you know, before I threw my TV out, and I still hear from people the commercials, the battery of commercials that they run here in the United States are just wall-to-wall uh, uh, prescription or drugs, yeah. you know, psychotropic drugs or whatever, for whatever ailment that you could possibly think of. They're even manufacturing different ailments like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, twitchy knee syndrome and so forth. <laughs> See your yeah. doctor. And this is, uh, uh, you know, the... You're talking about depression or whatever this cause. Well, now they have a pill for that. Then the, 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 uh, uh, the side effects from the, the pill that they take, they have another pill to take for that. And this is all by design because the pharmaceutical industries are making a, uh, you know, an abundance of money doing this. And, yeah. And mm-hmm. there, there's also laws that have been passed to, uh, uh, alleviate the, you being able to sue a pharmaceutical manufacturing firm for, you know, in case there's a, a health yeah. problem by it. So, mm-hmm. and again, this is all by design as well. They are, as you say, they're coming at us from all angles. Uh,
1: yeah, again, once again, they published, uh, some of the big boys at the top, Charles Galton Darwin, in the next million years, published about 1956. Uh, through that whole agenda of, of using drugs and chemicals and inoculations on the public to bring them down to a manageable level uh, also helps sterilize a lot of them too. And, um, and, of course, different techniques would be used and different excuses of, for the inoculations would be used to convince the public of its necessity. In other words, they would be lied to. But, uh, yeah, we've been lied to an awful lot, believe you me. <laughs>
0: well, you know, Alan, speaking of, you know, on the subject of being lied to, um, and I'm the first to profess that I only put on the glasses, if you will, a couple years ago. Uh, we've got a break, then we get the final segment. But uh, uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about being lied to in a minute. Last segment, short segment, it's only about four or five minutes left. And, Alan, I wanted to... Uh, make a quick comment on being lied to and then maybe have you give us some closing thoughts on your, uh, Take on uh, exactly where we're at in the world. So on the subject of being lied to, I, I woke up a couple years ago, and sad to say, after all the rabbit holes I've gone down and looked at the numerous websites, yours included, um, I, I'm beginning to realize you say that they lie to us quite a bit. I think personally that they lie to us all the time. I don't. I, I haven't seen us. I haven't seen them say anything that really I could consider the truth, Alan. Yeah.
1: Everything that's that's put out is authorized to shape your mind along a predetermined path that we have chosen for you.
0: And so what do we do from here? We're going down and pass out uh, flyers for a truck out coming up because they're allowing these Mexicans, the Mexican companies come over here and drive trucks in the United States, and that's going to affect all of us. This is the North American Union. The borders between your country and our country are coming down.
1: Yeah. And it's it's by design. I can go further because it was announced in Canada after 9-11, that the, um, they call it CSIS here, which is our CIA, mm-hmm. uh, has merged totally with the, the, the CIA of, of the U.S. And a, a, one year ago, they announced with the next part of the... Actually, it was with the Waco signing uh, of the, the trilateral agreement for the three parts of America unification mm-hmm. um, that they all signed for the integration. They, uh, they said later on in a show... Uh, and the spokesman was a member of, of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. He said uh, that now your customs and duty and excise groups in the U.S. and Canada are merging. And it's even going as far as that bureaucrats, top-level bureaucrats in Ottawa, can, will, will eventually, very shortly, be allowed to ask for transfers down to the same departments within the U.S. government and mm-hmm. vice versa.
0: Yeah, and a whole other level of legislation being implemented. And while, and while you're on the subject of the signing, that's just one more lie, because, um, yes, yeah. yes, Bush signed this agreement back in March of 2005, and according to government officials that we call into, that didn't happen.
1: It was yeah, great... well, the reality, is, you know, it was a public declaration to test the water. Right. It started back with the free trade negotiations back in the late 80s, and early 90s, and Shelley Ann Clark came out from Ottawa. She made up all the booklets for negotiations, and she tried to tell the Canadian public uh, that they'd signed everything away into complete integration with America and Mexico. So she came out from Ottawa. She was the, the most senior civil servant in Ottawa at the time. So this was done a long time ago, and even in the free trade negotiations in the 80s and early 90s, they discussed putting up the new capital for the Americas in Montreal.
0: Unbelievable. So what do we do to stop this, besides what we're doing?
1: You have to get people who are not misdirected by... There's a lot of fake patriot stuff out there. There's lots of it because the big boys give you both sides. and That's how you control conflict and guide it. And you've got to get people who are dedicated to, to spending their life working relief for other people and for generations still to come. It's hard to get dedicated people to do it.
0: It was like looking for a needle in a haystack. Well, Alan, I want to thank you, my friend, for coming on. I really appreciate it, sir. Um, You have been requested by my listeners, and after talking to you, I'll have you up again if you'd give me the honor. Okay? It's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.